welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. You are here in this time and space to bring glory into your nation. Everything about you is going to burn. You are made to burn. You are highly flammable. You can burn. He makes his messengers flames of fire. He doesn't make his messengers ice cubes. Flames of fire. So don't be surprised tonight that we have some flames of fire coming into the room. That would be great, wouldn't it? Uh, we had that in a church in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, right after we turned our church over, I pastored for 18 years. My wife and I, after a career in the mission field and the tribal indigenous peoples, we were missionaries, church planners, blah, blah, blah. And then we came to uh, uh, North America, and God sent us into the Northeast. Anyway, after we handed our church over five years ago, I got a phone call from my friend Tony, nice uh, AOG pastor in uh, the northeast part of the U.S., and he said, uh, come and preach. I said, okay. Uh, I'm gonna, I promise you I'm going to bring the word that God tells me to bring. So I asked the Lord, what word do you have for the church? He said, tell them I'm going to send a flame of fire to the church. I said, well, yes, and just tell them that. I said, well, it's going to be a short service. That's all right. Everybody likes short, short sermons, you know, so it'll be fun. So I got to the church, got behind the pulpit, said the Lord is going to send a flame of fire to this church. That's about how they reacted too. I said, you don't understand. God told me he's going to send a flame of fire. The third time I said it, flames shot out over my head, lit the church building on fire, filled with smoke. The pastor and his wife stood up and said, everybody get out right now. Twelve firemen came to put it out, so please don't ask me if it was virtual fire or real fire. They stood out in the car park for about an hour. Their jaw dropped. They, they, the reason I know it was God, we didn't take the offering. You know it's God. And they, they, they couldn't leave. They were just stunned. And, and uh, somebody said, well, why would God do a sign like that? Why would he make you wonder? Well... If you ask the pastor, he would say, I don't know exactly, but the church doubled in 30 days. So it was kind of cool. Or it was kind of hot. So I'm believing God for signs and wonders. I said, I'm believing God for signs and wonders. And uh, the Bible is full of mysteries and full of miracles. And can I say, <clears throat> let's see, how can I say this really nice? Um, you don't know it all. There's no know-it-all in this room. Tell the person next to you, you've been wanting to tell them so long. Tell the person next to you, you don't know it all. <laughs> well, if you don't know it all, then you have some things to learn, don't you? Can we learn together over the next few days? Can I learn to speak Aka and you can learn some stuff from the scriptures uh, and we'll be fair dinkums. Is that all right? I really do come to you with a, a mission from the Lord. We've been on a, a tour nearly a month. We started in South Korea. Uh, anybody hear about the ferry accident? God so orchestrated. Only God would have orchestrated this, folks. Because uh, this was... 
planned almost a year out. Uh, he orchestrated that we would be in Ansan, Korea. Ansan is the location where the high school uh, was, where 400 high school students perished. I mean, it's so wrecked. Can you imagine the best of your community, the most precious, beautiful kids that you could ever imagine? And, and they drowned in this horrible ferry accident. And we were there. We were there just shortly after it happened. And the Lord uh, brought us there. And they, they were stunned. The people were weeping. The, the church was filled with hungry hearts asking for answers. And the Lord spoke to me and gave me a word to share with that city about hope that we never give up. And I, I shared 10 reasons why we never give up. And there's always hope in Ansan City. And with our translator, God really moved. It was such a powerful, powerful thing. I'll never forget how God sent us there. From there, we came to Sydney. And again, he sent us there so that we could do a harbor cruise for my wife's birthday dinner romance sunset thing. It was That was definitely sovereign. And then we went to, of course, Jubilee. And, and we met uh, some of your sweet friends. And, and uh, it got pretty well wrecked there. Oh, my. I think some folks may be here in the meeting that were over there. And uh, then the Central Coast, and then we, we uh, flew in here today. But we're on a mission. I'm here to do a couple of things. And uh, I, I, I don't think I'll leave until I know that I've done it. But uh, one of the things I want to do is to release the spirit of revelation over you. And it, it may be a little different than you think and what you expect. Uh, God really wants to enlarge your heart to receive things that you've never heard before. And if you're a know-it-all and you have all of the traditions and doctrines and you've got the second coming all figured out, which really, you know, if you really want to make God laugh, tell him your plan for the second coming. <laughs> oh, 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 really? That's what you think it's going to be like, huh? Oh, oh, oh. Guess what? All the Bible guys missed the first one. All of them. They knew Micah 5.2. They knew Isaiah. They knew the Word of God. They had memorized the Torah. All of the Bible guys, where were they at the manger? Only people that got it. Listen, the only people that got the first coming, they had to get it by divine revelation. Angel named Gabriel popped into the Holy of Holies while Zechariah, the father, the soon-to-be father of Jesus' cousin, prophetic cousin John, and manifested in front of his eyes and gave him the revelation. The same angel came to Mary, the virgin, 14-year-old girl, said, you're going to carry the Christ. You're going to bring forth the Son of God to the earth. Only an angel could have revealed this to her. And then dream after dream to Joseph, who probably really wrestled with this, had a hard time understanding, you know, how this could all be. And then we got uh, wise men that had celestial signs, heavenly signs. And what about those angels that popped in on the, shepherd, on the shepherds that night? Nobody got the first coming except by revelation. And you have the second coming all figured out. You got the charts, you know, the novels and how you're, everything's going to work out. And, you know, we better, you know, the, you, don't get the microchip in your hand. And all we got it all figured out. Can I tell you, 1 Peter 1.5 says we do not even know what salvation is yet. 
There is coming in the last days, 1 Peter 1, 5, a ready-to-be-unveiled salvation. In the last kairos, the last season of time, God says, I'm going to send a salvation to the earth that has never been discovered yet. So if we don't have our salvation figured out, what else are we missing? We have so much to learn. And, you know, the more I study the Bible and work in the Scriptures and, and spend hours as, as I'm able into the Scriptures and the Word, the dumber I get. You're looking at a dumb man. No comments, please. But I, I, I have found how little I know and how much we've relied on tradition, dead doctrines, theories of men, what we've been taught by others who were taught by others who were taught by others who, who know where they got it. But God is sending the spirit of revelation upon the church. And I really want to introduce you to the spirit of revelation. The unveiling. He wants to unveil your heart before God. He wants you to get scorched and burned by the flame of God. And the first thing that's going to burn up is, is our superficial understanding of what God is, how He works, and what His, His Word really says. So after we gave our church over to our kids five years ago, something rose up in me. I was a translator in the tribe. I was a jungle. My wife and I lived years among an indigenous people group. Um, no running water. No electricity. Actually, there was running water. We ran to the river to get it. Uh, there was no, cell, you know, mobile phones or iTunes or nothing. No Coke Zero for my wife. No Snickers candy bars for me. And uh, we, uh, ha are you feeling sorry for us yet? Uh, we, we, we lived out there virtually with nothing except Jesus, a lot of demons, and some people that were just seeped in darkness. And God broke through supernaturally. The angels manifested to me and to the people, would come into their hut. The burning man appeared before them and would tell them to listen to the words that we brought. And it was, you know, like you heard about, uh, you know, prophetic evangelism. This was like angel evangelism. It really works. I mean, it, it really works. Whew. So... Uh, Anyway, after the Lord brought us back and uh, he, he spoke audibly to me, one and only time that I've heard the audible voice of God Almighty as he spoke early five in the morning one, one day and commissioned us to leave the village and come back to uh, North America where he was going to send a global revival and awakening that would shake the nations. Shortly after we left, I was leading the field, so I handpicked missionaries to replace us. Shortly after we left, Colombian drug cartel, really bad people, full of demonic power, came into our village with automatic weapons and kidnapped the missionaries and killed the men in the jungle, left them dead. And uh, that effectively shut down the missionary work in the village that we had gone to to reach. But uh, you cannot shut down the work of God. Workers come and go. Missionaries come and go. Ministries rise and fall. The work of God continues on. And God moved in their hearts. And uh, the last report we got in that village there, 
on the Chukanaki River, up, up river three days where we lived from the, from the nearest anything, uh, we've heard that there's a, a mighty revival taking place right now in that village. And I'm so thankful. While we were there, I was a co-translator for the Payakuna dialect, the New Testament, and uh, thrilled to give them uh, a completed New Testament. You know, they had never had their language written down. It was a verbal language. They'd never had a written form. So I was in on the linguistic write-up of the language, and we helped develop an alphabet and finalize the grammar and the, you know, the tagmemic level grammar structure. And we went through the whole linguistic analysis of their language and were able to translate the New Testament in their dialect. And uh, it, it just... Every time I look at it on my shelf in my office, I, I just I, I want to weep over the joy it was to see a people that had never read anything as my wife taught them literacy and, and give them the scriptures to read for the first time. They called it talking bark, the bark of a tree, because that's what the pages were like to them. And they said it was like talking bark, the book that would speak to them. And uh, I never thought I'd translate again. We came back and pastored 18 years, had a great time there, saw lots of good stuff. Uh, after we gave the church over, uh, I had this weird urge to translate the entire Bible. Now, either that is God or a bad joke, because there's 66 books in the Bible. And, and I, know I, I know I'm 40, but, but that's, that's going to be a lot of work for me uh, in my 40s to do. <coughs> So I said, Lord, you're going to have to show me if this is really you. You know, my wife gets so many dreams. I just figured we would hear somehow he would speak to us. Well, Jesus came into my room and commissioned me, breathed on me and said, you're going to do this and I will help you. And he promised me two things, uh, more than two, but I'll give you the two he promised. He promised me that he would give me the secrets that have not been uh, discovered about the original language and the, and the Word of God, and that has been happening. I'll share some of those with you in my six-hour teaching tonight. <laughs> and the second thing he promised is that I would be persecuted. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of John Wycliffe, and, and um, well, he, there's a marker, a grave marker. He was martyred for translating the Bible, and I'm not being martyred or anything, but, but uh, the, the persecution... Uh, has has started when you handle the word of God you need to do it carefully and there's some people who are locked into their translations some of you have Bible translations you've read all your life and that's really good but I have, have challenged my people in our church for years every year pick a different version and read your Bible through in another version so that you get fresh understanding of the scriptures you see translations are both a gift and a problem. They're a gift from God because they give us the revelation of heaven, but they're a problem because to transfer meaning from one language to another often is not an a easy thing, and uh, revelation uh, can't always be put into words. Like when I translated the New Testament, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Isn't that great? They don't have lambs in the jungle. How do you tell them Jesus is the Lamb of God? They'd never seen a sea or the ocean. They're in the rainforest. They'd never even seen a lake or anything like that. There were so many concepts that we had to convey into their language that would trigger a response in their heart. So uh, anyway, all of that to say, I began this translation four plus years ago. It's called the Passion Translation. I'm so glad some of you have been reading it. 
And uh, I, I'm hoping, honestly, that you will step into this, um, this adventure of discovering the Word of God in a new and fresh way. And if you know it all, then you don't need the Bible. But if you don't know it all, and we all have something to learn, could I encourage you to uh, engage your heart in a translation that could speak something fresh and real to you? You have the Holy Spirit, so uh, that's between you and the Lord. And the Spirit himself will bear witness to you whether it is uh, his word or not. But, uh, you know, we've done um, Proverbs. Anybody like Proverbs? Any, anybody want to be a wise guy? Proverbs. I love Proverbs, don't you? Um, this will ruin your Mother's Day. Because how many sermons have we heard about the virtuous woman and Proverbs 31? You know, you got to get up early and before the sun comes up and fix me breakfast. You got to do this and works with her hands and does all of this amazing stuff. Well, guess what I found out in translating? I have about 40 footnotes in that chapter alone to help you with this. It's not a woman. The, the virtuous woman is not a woman. Listen to me. It's a parable of the last day's church. It's the radiant bride, the end time church. It's a revelation. She works with her hands, five-fold ministry. She intercedes. She rises up. She, fix, she works with flax that's, and makes linen. That's what a priest wears. The whole mystery of the revelation of the Bible. Do we need to tell each other again? You don't know it all? I mean, do you have some? We got, we've got some things to learn, folks, really. And uh, instead of pounding the women and telling them that this is what you got to do, virtuous women, let me tell you what. The word virtuous is chayil, chayil. In the universe of meaning for the word chayil, virtuous is a very minute fragment of the meaning of that word. Chayil is predominantly used in the scripture as a male term. For decapitating enemies, slaughtering your foe, it is a warring term that men have the, the revelation of a, give them a sword and suddenly they're going to child everybody. That's what that means. Now, if you want to make it virtuous woman, <clears throat> that's okay. If it works for you, go ahead, moms. Get up early and fix breakfast for me. I, I do like brekkie, by the way. But, I think it's going to liberate and free the body of Christ. There's secrets in here, and I hope you'll, you'll pick it up and, and uh, find out for yourself. Would you open your Bible, please, to the book of tradition? No, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, the book of Song of Songs. Now, we, this is a setup tonight. We purposely didn't call this, this conference Song of Songs, because the men would not come. So we call it Passion and Fire. So, mates, we, you're here. We've locked the doors. You cannot leave. So I want you to hear the fiery, passionate heart of God about His love for you and for me. And the mountain of pride will melt like wax within you. As His fiery love begins to speak and minister to that father wound, that, that hurt, the pain, the issues that we forgot long ago. And suddenly they surface when we try to get close to God. 
This is an amazing story. I'm convinced that this is not a book of erotica for a sexual dysfunctional marriage. I'm so convinced of it, I, pr I can prove it to you. I tried it on my wife. I took her to a French restaurant. White tablecloth, one rose, ambiance, lights down, music. Everything was perfect. She didn't know what was coming. I reached across the table, took her hand, looked into her whew, Irish eyes. And I said, honey, what would you say to me if I told you these words? Your hair is like a flock of goats <laughs> skipping down the mountainside. And your teeth are fluffy sheep, and not one is missing. They each give birth to twins. And your neck is like the Tower of David. And your nose, the Tower of Damascus. And in your belly button is a blended goblet of wine. And a mount of wheat is inside of you. I was just, men, I was expecting her to just melt before me. Oh, tell me again. I don't know of one woman that would want to be told that her hair is a flock of goats. You have got to stretch the scripture until it pops to make this book about erotica. This is a sacred parable. It's the song of all songs in the Holy of Holies by the Lord of Lords, infinitely more profound than just helping a messed up marital couple get things working for them. If you need that problem, or if you have that problem, you go get it fixed somewhere. Go pastor will help you somehow. He'll send you the right place. But this is a book of beauty, nuance, poetry. I'm putting this on Broadway, and I'm not joking. This is going to be a Broadway production. This is meant to be sung. It is an, a song. And it's a song Jesus sang over you when you were an embryo. And he'll sing it again over you when you enter into the glorious realm of your inheritance. It's the greatest song. Where every other worship team leaves off, it takes off. It begins. The greatest song ever composed. Jewish tradition says that when the temple was dedicated and the smoke filled the temple, Solomon had offered his sacrifices. The king was there and the priest could not minister because of the heavy weight of the glory that rested over them. Solomon stood as king and prophesied these words written down by the scribe, and we now have them in our Bible. This is eight chapters of the highest level prophetic revelation. It's got to be a demon that tries to whisper in our ears. You'll never understand it. It's not for you. It's all about sensuality, but it's not. Would you come with me on a journey? Would you commit to come with me over the next, what, uh, 18, 20 hours as we teach this? Not straight, but uh, uh, we may or may not go into it Sunday morning here, but I, I, tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow, and I know it's getting late already for some of you, so I, won't, I promise we'll be out by sunup. 
But I want to introduce to you the most profound, beautiful story you'll ever hear. And here's why. It's your story written in advance 3,000 years ago. Your life story was written. And if you'll come with me on this journey, you will find yourself in the middle of this story. Somewhere you will find you on your journey to climb the mountain of spice, to go into the high place. The subplot of the Song of Songs is how to take your bride to the mountain. It's how Jesus lifts an incomplete, immature, a little bit burnt out bride and brings her into the beauty realm of radiance, splendor, and full maturity. Let me just jump right to the end and say to you this. Everything you love about Jesus will one day be spoken over you. Everything you love about Jesus is your destiny because you are his partner. You're his radiant look-alike partner. He went on to jharmony.com. Your profile popped up. All the personality traits, you match him perfectly. You are the perfect match for the Son of God. How does that make you feel? To be the fiancé of the highest king ever. You married up. I did twice. So the, the Song of Songs starts with a Shulamite. And by the way, Shulamite and Solomon is the same Hebrew word, one masculine, one feminine. We're one with Jesus Christ. We're one with him. So let the symbols disappear. Let Solomon fade and let one greater than Solomon take his place. Let the Shulamite, the make-believe Shulamite fade and let you, the, the partner to Jesus, Take her place, male or female, it doesn't matter, mate. We're all one with him. There is no male or female. And you have to say, I've got to get this, I got to get this out. We can't go through tonight without saying it. Now that I'm in Australia, it's not just the Shulamite, it's the Shilamites. <laughs> okay, I got it out. So it's the journey of, a, of, a, of a, a nobody. It's a journey of somebody that has nothing going for her. And how she's perfected and, and, and raised up and, and eventually seated at the highest pinnacle of the universe. It's as though the Trinity's making room for the bride. If Jesus were to give you any more than he's given you, it would threaten the Trinity. It'd have to be a quartet. There's a plan in God's heart. And it's not to unveil the Antichrist. It's to unveil Jesus Christ. Why is it we've made the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Antichrist? Did you know his, he's not even in there? Go look for him. Go look for him. Where's he hiding? He's not there. The greatest unveiling God is going to do, the apocalypse, the parousia, the appearing, is that Christ in you is coming forth. So the story begins with a cry for a kiss. 
Who doesn't want that? I ain't giving it to you, but who, who wouldn't want that? Let him kiss me. What an amazing thing. Let him kiss me. That's the first thing we do to a newborn baby. I've got to do it to my grandbabies. And it's the last thing we do as we say farewell to a loved one who passes from this life to another. There's nothing more tender than a kiss. And the love of God, you know, it, it comes on our heart like a kiss. It's the divine kiss. It's the spirit wind, the spirit kiss of God that comes upon us. So we don't think of Jesus kissing our lips. We think of the, the, the breath of God coming upon our heart. And to help the men, the word for kiss, nashak, is the Hebrew word. It's also used to arm for battle. Let him arm me for battle. It's God's pun. It's God's play on words. It's God's divine poetry that he locks multiple meanings into one word. It's called a homonym. Do you know what a homonym is? Anyone know what a homonym is? Homonym, you, I know you would, you would know that, sweetheart. The, the homonym is a word that is spoken the same but has multiple meanings that are totally unrelated. English has tons of them. Hebrew is like almost completely homonyms. For example, see. What does that mean? With our eyes? How about the ocean? How about a letter? How about in Rome, the holy sea? There's four meanings for sea that have no relation at all other than that they're pronounced the same. So God locks into his word. He places into his word revelation secrets. Since I'm on this already, I might as well tell you another one. Are you sitting down? The last words of Jesus on the cross, what were they? It is finished. It's the Aramaic word kala. Jesus spoke Aramaic. There's not a scholar on earth that would deny that. Jesus spoke Aramaic. It was the lingua franca of that, of a thousand year period from about 800 BC to 200 AD. Around 200 AD, Greek began to dominate. And that's about when we have our Greek manuscripts. But I am very much a proponent that Jesus spoke Aramaic, and therefore everything Jesus taught had to be translated into Greek, which has now been translated into English. So we're reading a third generation. If we go back to the, into the Aramaic, we're going to get secrets. And the Lord is giving me some of those secrets. Here's one of them. Kala means finished. The last word Jesus spoke on the cross was kala. It's the Aramaic word bride. The last word he spoke, bride. What came out of his side when he was pierced? Blood and water. Moms, what, come out, what comes out when you give birth besides a baby? Jesus gave birth on the cross. How could he be the everlasting father and not have sons? He brings many sons to glory. Jesus gave birth 
as he spoke those words, that word, bride. Over and over, the hominin becomes a, a, a tool for God to embed glory into his word. Let him kiss me. What a way to start a book. My. That's quite a way to start a book. That's a real edgy way to start your, your drama, your play we're going to do on Broadway. We may actually call it The Kiss. That'll get everybody out. And instantly he manifests. Let him kiss me. Your love is better than wine. If you if you feel like you're distant from Jesus, just use those words. Let him kiss me. The Hebrew is, is multiple. It's plural. So the, the way I've translated it, and, and thou shalt get the Passion Translation. Thou shalt read the Song of Songs tonight. Thou shalt enjoy it. The way we've translated it is smother me with kisses. You say, wow, we're kind of going a little fast here in this thing together. Well, there's not much time to waste. Let him kiss me. Smother me more. It's amazing how I kissed my wife 43 years ago, and she still expects me to do it now. I thought one would be enough, right? She still wants more. Let him kiss me. Smother me with kisses. Your love better than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your very name is flowing oil. The name of Jesus. Flowing oil. No wonder the brides-to-be adore you. And then she says, draw me out. Draw me. The uh, Hebrew phrase literally means to lift me up and lead me out of this place I don't want to be in anymore. Would you like to go to a place you've not been in before? Would you like to get out of the mess you're in and to have Jesus himself lift you up and draw you out? I would. Draw me. And then she says, we'll run away together into your cloud-filled chamber. We'll run together right into your cloud-filled chamber. The Hebrew is, uh, your, many translations have the king's chamber, but the Hebrew is a chamber inside of a chamber. Is there any place Israel worshipped that actually had a chamber inside of a chamber? The Holy of Holies. You see, poetically, Espiritu Santo, Ruach Hodesh, Songyong Nim, if you're Korean. He has put, the Holy Spirit has put some secrets here. Take me into the Holy of Holies. And guess what happens to her when she goes up into the king's chamber room? She begins to feel unworthy. She begins to feel like I don't qualify. I, I feel darkened by the sun. I'm dark. And he whispers in her ear, you're lovely. She says, I'm dark as the tent curtains of Kedar. He comes and whispers again, no, you're like the linen curtains of the holy place. It's a play on words, folks. Kedar means a dark place. I'm dark like I'm in a dark place. You know, the dark room 
where you develop your negatives. I've been living in this twilight gray of the morning. That's the, the Hebrew word. It's the gray of the morning where it's not quite dazzling light. It's, I'm not in the darkness, but I'm not in the full light of day. And he says, no, you're like linen curtains that hang. Only the high priest can see those curtains, and only I can see the beauty that's within you. The first words he speaks in this journey is you are lovely. You know, I've read this, translated it, memorized it. I can tell you there's no angry exhortation. There's no guilt, you know, guilt theology that he's pounding into her. Like, where were you when I needed you? And of all the things to call her, you know, we would call her, you tortoise, you turtle, you snake. He calls her dove. The emblem of the Holy Spirit. Over and over, he affirms her. I don't know much, but I, I know this, having been in ministry since the 1800s. I can tell you, I've never met a person yet that was too encouraged. I never had anybody say, oh, Pastor Brian, stop, stop, stop. You're encouraging me too much. No, no, don't, please. Give me depression. Give me more guilt. Make me feel horrible. No, we, we all have a deficit. We all have this need. Whether it's not having a father, whether it's not having a, a, a heart need met, an unfulfilled marriage, or when am I going to get the marriage? Or when am I going to get out of the marriage? Or I don't think that. But when, you know, we, we, we have all of these things inside of our soul that matters to God. So, He affirms her over and over and over again. If I were God for a day, I would delete from your brain every negative thought about God. He's the most compassionate, tender. He gave us Jesus. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us every spiritual blessing. Jesus says, you know, I gave you my sacred blood. I'd rather go to hell for you than to live in heaven without you. You're the one. You're the one I want. I chose you in love. Ephesians 1.4, I chose you in love. How does it feel to be chosen in love? And the word chosen is the Greek word eklogomai. If I slow it down a little bit, you'll hear eklogosmai. Logos. I've, I've chosen you to be a word. I've chosen you to be a word from my mouth. And you live as a word that I've spoken and you will not return to me void. You will accomplish what I have given you birth to accomplish. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, his handiwork, his craftsmanship. But that's not the Greek word at all. Can I give it to you? It won't be hard to understand. You are my poema. How does it feel to be the poetry of God? Divine poetry. And, and it's a comedy, not a tragedy. You are the poetic expression of a loving God that had wrapped His revelation word inside of you. And as you embrace Him and, and blend into Him, everything He is bleeds into you. He's in you like a tea bag is in hot water. He's seeping into you. 
He's taking you over. He's swallowing up death in victory. Everything you love about Jesus will be said over you. And this is only chapter 1. So he takes her into the cloud-filled chamber. The next place he takes her, as he lifted us up into the heavenly places. By the way, can I, can I ruin your rapture thing? It happened already, 2,000 years ago. Look in his eyes long enough till it twinkles. You'll see it. He has lifted you up into the heavenly realm. You are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Colossians 3, our life is hidden with Christ in God. He snatched us away. When Christ was raised from the dead, it says it took the exceeding greatness of his power. Not when Lazarus rose from the dead, not when Jairus' daughter, not when the centurion's servant was raised. Only when Jesus was raised from the dead did it take the exceeding greatness of God's power. You want to know why? Because about a billion people rose up with him at the same time. That takes the exceeding greatness of his power. And every single soul was taken captive. Captivity taken captive and seated at the place of highest glory and honor. I don't know how to say it better, folks. He puts a crown on your head and watches you grow up to fit it. When you feel you deserve a lecture, he gives you a kiss. When you're at your weakest, grace comes and overwhelms it. The superabundant, overflowing the bank like a flood that cascades over your soul. Until you stop the negative thinking and you come into that heavenly realm. So I'm a bi-locational minister. So he takes her not only into the king's chamber, now he takes her to the king's table. King's table. Well, that sounds good. The Lord's table. It's the Lord's table. And at the Lord's table, she sees the provisions of the cross. And this goat-keeping girl who has dirty hair, goat-smelly stuff on her robe, I mean, there's nothing special about her, folks. And you felt the same way about you at times. But he's chosen her, and he's chosen you, and it's your story. This is how he brings you into the highest place of glory. Not with angry lectures. Not a continual, uh, you know, a continual rebuke and correction. I just found in Hebrews, I've translated, just finished Hebrews. I hope to finish James 5 while I'm still here in, in paradise. I have a, a number of days here in the city yet, but in Hebrews 12, it talks about, it has this really naughty word about the Father scourging everyone he receives. I, I made an in-depth study of that word, and I'm convinced it's mistranslated. And I will have footnotes to prove it. It says, it's not what it all, at all what it says. It says he draws to himself his sons to prove to them they belong to him. 
He draws them to himself. You know, the books are being opened. Daniel said in the last days, the books will be opened, 66 of them. And that many will go here and there. And revelation knowledge will increase. And we are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are the angels that ascend. Come on, get out of the flesh. Get in the spirit with me. We are the ascending angels. Angels in the Bible. Malach in Hebrew. Uh, it sounds a little Spanish, but it's angelos in Greek. Both Hebrew and Greek, interestingly, it can mean men or it can mean messengers who are men or it can mean angelic with wings. We are climbing Jacob's ladder because they ascend and descend. If they're angels from heaven, they descend and ascend. You check it out. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Go up and get your destiny. Go up, Shulamite. Rise up and come away. God is calling you into a higher place. So he takes her to the king's table and he unfolds to her the provisions of the cross. And if you were to look at 1 Kings 4, you would be shocked at how much King Solomon provided for his household for one day. One day at the king's table. 20 uh, pasture-fed cattle, 10 stall-fed cattle. There's 30 cows right there. That's a lot of hamburger. And then it talks about all the measures of wheat, massive amounts of wheat and cornbread and, 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 and gazelles and, and does and fowl and different animals of the field for one day's meal for his house. Oh, your king will take care of you. When she saw the provision that had been given to her because of the cross, it says her incense rose, her, her praise perfume ascended. But in the midst of that, she could smell myrrh. You guys still with me? Myrrh is embalming spice. Myrrh is what was given to Jesus, baby Jesus, when he was born. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's what the women came carrying to anoint Jesus' body when they discovered he'd been raised from the dead. They were bringing myrrh. Myrrh is called by the by the ancient rabbis, it's called tears from a tree. It's the liquid love, drops of love, the crimson love of God that spilled from a cross. Myrrh in the Song of Songs is an emblem of this suffering love of Jesus. She goes on to say, my beloved is to me a bundle of myrrh over my heart. What is your beloved to you? My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh, a tied-up bundle of myrrh. Jesus was tied to a cross as a tied-up bundle of suffering love for the world. And she goes on to say, my lover is a bouquet of henna blossoms. Can you go with me further, guys? The henna is a homonym. Kafar, the Hebrew word kafar. It means henna, but it's also every Jew and priest would know what kafar means. It's the word atonement, the atonement blood, the blood of atonement. My lover is to me a bouquet of atoning love that redeemed my soul. Interestingly, in, in uh, Genesis 8, when it says Noah built an ark, and inside and out, he coated it, and it uses the word kafar. He coated it 
with atonement. This floating box of love that kept judgment waters out. And then she says, from the vineyards of Engedi, are you still with me? Some of you would do well to look at this, the scripture text so you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't sound so weird when you're actually following with me. But it says, from the vineyards of Engedi. Now, Engedi is the fountain of the Lamb. That's what it means, the fountain of the Lamb. You guys, are you getting some of this? Please tell me so I can get rid of my insecurity and go to the next part here. This is amazing. I didn't write it. My lover is to me not just a flower, but a bouquet. He's, he's a continual cascading revelation of atonement and grace. Amen. Wow. God wants to speak on a different level to you. you, you you've, you're in a rut. You're starting to feel bored, and some of you don't even read the Bible because it doesn't seem to hit you like it did. It just doesn't speak to you very profoundly. But after tonight and tomorrow, you're going to see the Scriptures in a whole new way. Yeah. Do you know Jesus never taught without using a parable? Never. And that nobody understood what he taught. They'd all gather like you are right here. And Jesus would get up and, and drops of glory, verbal glory came out of his mouth. And the swirly of the Holy Spirit would fill the synagogue. And they were so buzzed. They were so, whoa, nobody ever teaches us this stuff. And they go out and they say, Man, was that awesome. Yeah, but what did he say? I don't know, but wow, it was awesome. Where in our churches today, we want everybody to get it. We want everybody to understand. Take notes. A, B, C, one, two, three. Praise, power, purpose. Make it rhyme. Make it put the letter the right way. Make it cool. Make it catchy so that everybody understands. Listen, God fed Israel 40 years with manna. And what does manna mean? What? What is it? Mm -hmm. He fed them with, what in the world is this? That's what they ate. And for 2,000 years, we've been trying to take what is it out of the church. And we want everybody to know, and we get our opinions and teach it as truth. We get our doctrines. We get them all lined up. I used to believe, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't believe in the Holy Spirit for years. The Trinity to me was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And I figured if I want to get close to God, I need to memorize the Bible. So I memorized 17 books. I said, I'm going to get close to God through the Word. And I'm in the jungle as a recovering Baptist. And I'm in the jungle, and, like, I bump into God. Whoa. And his power. And I saw the power of God as our daughter was dying with a snake bite. Five foot, a two meter snake latched onto her ankle. Filled her with venom. She's dying. And God worked a miracle. 
I saw a village that was committed to darkness. They loved the demonic. They were committed to keeping people away from truth. I saw every proud heart in that village rocked by the gospel as the power of the Lord swept over the village. Suddenly, my theology had to make room for God. Can I say, if you just put God in your head, it's a really small place to put him. The door to the truth is not the intellect. The door to the truth is the spirit that opens that says, yes, I'll be like a child. Why do you think God's pouring his spirit out upon your children? To make you jealous. So you will be one. I want you to get out of your mind. I want you to lose your mind. I'll just come right out and tell you. It hasn't been working that great for you. <laughs> and if you were to live in a realm outside of here, by the way, where was Jesus crucified? Golgotha. What's that mean? Ah, until the cross pierces yours, you're never going to find God as he wants you to find him. Goliath is the mind of man. And where did David hit him with the rock? The kneecap? The elbow? Right here. The same place you put the mark of the beast. It's your thoughts. What are you going to do when I take away your antichrist? You'll be all upset with me. You'll run me out of town. When I, I found the antichrist, I know who he is. I'm looking at him. Antichrist. It's a spirit that's been in the world. The antichrist spirit is right here. You've had that mark. What, by the way, what is 666 the number of? Okay, let's try this again. This is so deep. 666 is the number of not Antichrist. 666 is the number of man. Are you one of those? Well, it's been on your thoughts, your forehead, and it's on your hand. You've been walking and living and, and handling things and doing what we do, you and I. The high thoughts that exalt itself. It's a Jericho. The walled thoughts. What about the man of sin in the temple? Yeah. Sin of man's been in your temple. Eight times in the Bible, the beast is human nature. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. Still here? God is training us to live in spirit. He's training us to live outside of what is logical. That's our Roman educational system in the Western world. It's been hindering us. We line things up. Just like we line our chairs up. Can you imagine Jesus say, all right, everybody, sit in a chair and get in line. And he gets out a chalkboard and he teaches. 
take notes and we'll have a final exam on Thursday. No, he, he, he mingled himself with them. They absorbed him. And God wants us to absorb truth until it comes into the inward parts. There are certain things that, are, that will never fit here. Never fit here. Can I tell you one of them? You'll never kiss anybody again if you think about it. Just think about the germs you're passing on. You know there's as many germs in your mouth as there is in a dog's mouth. I mean, are you going to drool? Is she going to drool? What did she have for dinner? I mean, if you analyze it, you'd never do it. Pucker up and do it. Don't analyze it. Well, you're going to get in the mirror and practice like some 12-year-old? What are you? What? It's not meant to be analyzed. So many things we, we, we walk in, we exist around, and we don't stop to analyze it, and God wants it that way. The love of God is illogical. It's past finding out. And many of you are even struggling now because you're wanting it to come a different way. But the Lord is teaching his bride by a story. It's the story of how Jesus matures his bride. It's a beautiful story. It has ups and downs, kind of like your life. She's going to fail him, but he's still going to love her. It's a beautiful, beautiful allegory. Matthew 13, 34, Jesus never taught without using a parable. Never. The preferred method of God is story. I know the language of God. It's not Hebrew, it's not Greek, and it's not English. God speaks in picture. It's the language of God. This is why dreams are significant. Uh, what is it? A picture is worth? Yeah. See, words are... are can't contain revelation. They're poor containers. They, they, they're not big enough to hold. You could stack words from here to the moon describing love and still never come close to God's love. So it's not logical that he would love you. It's not logical that, that you're going to be the bridal partner forever to Jesus Christ. It's not logical that you're going to judge angels, rule the universe that you're going to be the co-signer to the, to the deed of eternity in heaven and earth. It's not logical that you're going to have the glory of God fully, that everything he is, you will be. You're actually that way in the world right now. As he is, so are we in this world. And grace has gifted, blessed, kissed us, exalted us. We cannot be given more than what we have in Christ. So our passion must be to discover and learn the language of God. And I'm going to quit because you're tired. But what happens is it takes, it takes a session for you to even start to understand that I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord to give you a gift of the spirit of revelation. And we're, we're in the natural realm. A and Jesus is trying to get us out of the natural realm. The, the woman at the well, you know the story? 
she was all in the natural world. All she could think about was, you know, are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well? Who do you think you are? Where do we worship? Uh, but you, the well is deep. You don't have a bucket. What's this living water? She had no clue. And here's Jesus the whole time loving her, just looking at this woman, saying, I'm going to give you revelation like water flowing in you if you'll just come out of your world. I came into your world. Now come into mine. And he tugged her. He pulled her ever so slowly out of the natural realm into the spirit realm. For example, what was the name of the well? What kind of well was it Jesus sat on? Jacob's well. Jacob's well. The polluted stream of clever, conniving, don't look now, but it's in you. The want to compete, want to be better than, grab what is somebody else's. That Jacob's life, Jacob's well, and Jesus sits and closes it. He sits on Jacob's well and closes that stream forever. Isn't that beautiful? He's a lid to Jacob's well. And he opened up a new one, a well sitting on a well. And there he is, ready to give living water, ready to give a drink. And here's this woman, not having a clue who he is, what he could give her, what he really wanted to impart to her. And, and, and I want to say it as carefully and humbly as I can. I think we're that way. We don't realize what he would give us tonight, tomorrow morning, and this weekend, if we'd but come as, give me a drink. So after the dialogue of natural versus spiritual, he finally pierced it. You know how he pierced it? When she said, okay, give me a drink. Give me a drink of this water so I don't ever have to come back again. Right? He said, okay, go and get your husband. My husband. Um... I've had five, and I'm now living with one that isn't. Jesus said, that's right. Can I say to you, if you want a drink, the first thing you have to realize is you have had five husbands. Everyone in this room has been married to your five senses. You've had five husbands. You're locked into the natural realm. Jesus said, and you're living with the sixth. That's man. That's the number of man. You're in the realm of the world, of this world of man's thinking. I will be the seventh husband to you. I will be the seventh man to you. If you want the water, you're going to have to get out of that realm and come to me, the seventh husband. She dropped her water pot and became one and carried like Mary, she carries like Mary and took him back and won a city to Jesus. There's secrets here, Melbourne. Fifteen minutes with Jesus. And she led a city to Christ. Fifteen minutes out of the realm of flesh. I already know these things. I've been to Bible college. 
He made her a living well. I know her name. Her name is Potini. Let me give you secrets. She's been deleted from church history. And ladies, why do you think that would be? Because she's a woman. But she is recorded, and if you will do the diligence that I have put into studying this out, because I'm reading this, and the Holy Spirit says, well, she has a name. I'm translating John. It's, you can get it out there, wherever. Where's the book? Wherever. Out there. Walk right through that wall. <laughs> and get it. And I have footnotes in there, and I'll give you some hints for you to do your own study. But her name is Potini, P-H-O-T-I-N-I. She went in church history. She went down as one of, one of the four greatest apostles to walk the earth. Peter, James, John, Potini. She was always mentioned with those three. She was the greatest city reacher. She went from Sychar to village to village to village and led people to Jesus. Entire cities came to the Lord because of Potini. She was taken to Rome. She preached to Nero's brother, led the emperor's brother to Jesus Christ. Nero, infuriated, says, I'm going to kill this woman. And he couldn't kill her. She wouldn't die. The glory was all over her. And she and the women that were around her, a band of holy women that traveled with Potini, the greatest city reacher ever to walk the earth, with the exception, perhaps, of Charles Finney. But Potini finally was martyred along with the band of women that were with her and goes down in church history as the greatest city reacher ever. And her name has been very slyly deleted from church history files. But there's still some you can find if you're that diligent to look for. I found them. Her name is Potini. And she'll go down in history as a woman that got out of the realm of here and went into a realm of spirit. And this coming awakening is going to demand that you get out of your head. And some of you cannot process what can't be understood. And that's always typical of those of us who are married to our five senses. Now, I barely made it through high school. I was not a good student. I had nothing going. For my teachers, like, I think I gave them Nervous breakdowns. I won't even tell you because the word may get back to my grandkids and they think I'm nice, so I don't want to pop their bubble. But I was really a mess. I was so stoned out on the graduation, I, I really barely made it. I just stumbled up there to take my, I mean, just a wreck of a kid. Nothing going for me. Until August the 8th, 1971, I had an encounter. Jesus saved me to the bone. That night, I led about 10 people to Jesus. Another 20, 25 repented who were Christians and came back to Christ. Within 30 days, I was back and found out a college student had been praying for me. Actually, she and a number of college students had been praying for me. Her name's Candace Williams. <laughs> Fell in love with the brunette. Left her messages every day for 
weeks. I love you. Never signed it. Till one day I signed it. She had this thing outside her apartment. She lived up in this third-story apartment with some other really cool chicks. And I would leave these love messages till one day I signed it. Didn't mean a whole lot to her. She still didn't want to go out with me. I tried roses. I tried flowers. I tried bribes. I tried my six-foot-six friend, and I would come and try to talk her into coming. God finally got a hold of her. We got married. But (laughs) all of that to say, when you spend time with Jesus, I'm not talking about reading the Bible for 10 minutes and then you, you kind of nod off and you go, what did I read? I, I, you read it again and you didn't get much out of it the second time. I'm talking about the pure, raw, undiluted, pure, right out of the can Jesus. Fresh. In His glory. You can become a fountain. You can become a well. You can become the Garden of Eden. You you can become the Holy of Holies on two legs. You can be a walking demonstration of the one you love. Jesus wants to fill you. He'll never reach the city of Melbourne until he reaches some people in Melbourne. You're it. You are here. And you're going to find in the next hours, you're going to get in your car and think, well, that was interesting. Angel of God is going to go home with you fiery man standing at three in the morning by your bedside and said, I'm talking to you. I'm calling you. Come away to a new place. The day of awakening has come to Melbourne. You are the one. You're the daybreaker, the dawn maker. You are the deliverer. I'm calling for the city. Spend time in my presence until you glisten with my glory. And I will send you to the right place, the right time, the right people to bring the right word to unlock the heavens over a region. God is looking for a potini. To be continued. I want you to come and find out tomorrow who the Rose of Sharon is. It may surprise you. I'm going to show you the dancing king who leaps over mountains and the fearful Shulamite who hides behind her wall eating potato chips watching television, remote control. She refuses to go to the high place with him. She doesn't do mountains. She doesn't want to climb the mountain trail. And we'll walk you through the maturing stages of the Shulamite lover until you become a look-alike partner to Jesus Christ, the perfect match. And I'm going to share with you tomorrow the revelation secret Jesus gave me that told me when he gave it to me, he said, this will take the church 20 years to process this tree. And it's just one word. It's wrecked my life. It's ruined me. Can't wait to share those things with you. Have I, have I uh, tempted, hooked you, or whatever? Am I, am I getting you to consider this? You see, I, I, I love to do this for like three days, four days. In Korea, they won't let me stop. They just, I mean, they, they, oh, bro. I mean, or mates. I mean, they really, they will pull it right out. 
And I go verse by verse through this whole book. And I believe some of you can be set free in ways you never thought possible. Even though you've read the Song of Songs, doesn't mean you know the secrets that he's going to unveil to you. Holy Spirit, fall upon the people tonight. I pray that their pillow will become a pillar of glory, that they will ascend into the heavenly realm. Lord, the whispers of the night will speak to them, the unveiling of Christ within them. The glory realm will begin to not just be in heaven somewhere, but actually Christ in me is the hope of glory. Not when I die, but when I die to my opinions. I pray for visitations tonight. 